This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast, brought to you as always by the good folks at Bet Rivers. Uh, Download the Bet Rivers app, new and improved all the time, and get ready for the football season. The college football season began uh, on week zero, as they call it, the other day with a couple of games, including Notre Dame's route of uh, Navy, USC jumping out and scoring a lot of points against San Jose State. Uh, but we'll be ready for the football season. We've got a lot of new things to introduce. We will do that, too. Those things coming in the weeks to come. But first, we've got to put a finishing touch on some other things here in uh, late August as we get into the last week of summer, really, because for all intents and purposes, summer's done on Labor Day Monday. So you have another week of summer, and it's been a strange one, uh, especially in Saratoga. I was in Saratoga for the uh, Travers. I was there because we were going to run High Oak in the uh, forego, which we did. He ran well. He ran third. Uh, he didn't get a pace to close into, nor did the uh, favorite, which is why Gunnite won the race. Uh, but obviously the storyline came out again to be one of just uh, horrific, uh, tragic incidents that have plagued racing and have plagued the Saratoga meet. You know, th- this this will go down, folks, as the uh, – this will go down as probably the worst Saratoga meet that anybody can remember for two reasons. One, of course, the enormous problem with horses breaking down. The second being that it has almost rained every single day. During the races, it even rained on Travis Day for a while in the afternoon around the eighth race. Uh, it is unbelievable. It's almost uncanny how much rain they have had, and it has plagued that meat from uh, start to finish. So it is a meat that I've never heard anyone ever say this before, but people up there were actually saying, can't wait till this meat ends. And watching a very talented young horse break down after he had almost in a carbon copy performance done what Maple Leaf Mel did to the field in the test, put the field away, just completely bottomed him with the speed and then was going to have a curtain call on the way to the wire. Same thing on Saturday. And what we saw was a repeat after he had put the field away and he's opening up four or five lengths and about to have a triumphant run to the wire breaks down in horrific fashion. Um, It actually sent a lot of people to the exits. It took all the life out of what was a day of, you know, 
tremendous racing five grade ones. Place was packed. And it just, again, through this complete cloud over the entire sport. You've seen statements made by Naira. You've seen statements made by organizations about investigations that are going to happen, certain things that are going to happen, like the idea that they're going to also have the state vets and the Naira vets check the horses three days before the race. That's not the problem here. You've seen two horses that were worth millions of dollars break down, break down in the height of their performance. And I can tell you that Maple Leaf Mel was treated like a part of the family. If that horse had had a pimple, it wouldn't have run. If that horse had had a, if it had sneezed, it wouldn't have run. So there was nothing wrong. That horse was brought up to that race in optimum fashion. That's not what caused this. That's not what caused the breakdown on Saturday to another precocious talent. What is happening here has everybody puzzled. Are some horses on some levels at some tracks being abused? Yes. Are they maybe be give, being given drugs? Are they being run when they shouldn't be run? I'm sure that is an issue at certain places. That is not the issue with these breakdowns we've seen at Saratoga that it have just leveled the sport. I don't have the answer. Nobody has the answer. You talk to trainers who have been in this game forever, they don't have the answer. But one of the things that has come up in speculation is the idea that maybe the enormous inbreeding, which is such a part of the thoroughbred breeding game, you breed the best to the best and hope for the best, they try to create the fastest horse they can. Speed, 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 speed sells. Speed gets you the big money. Speed, speed, speed. And maybe the inbreeding, which is illegal on the human level, has to be curtailed because maybe that is affecting the durability of these animals. Remember, if you've been in the thoroughbred game at all, and I've been around it a very long time, I've been an owner for a very long time, you know that almost every phone call is bad. And the better horse you have, the more likely it is to be very hard on itself and to come up with injuries because it's fast. If you're slow, you're not going to beat up your body the way you are if you're really lightning fast. So the better horse has, a, I think, an increased chance to be infirmed. And injuries are an enormous part of the game. These are very, very fast, talented athletes, bred to run, who are carrying up to 1,200 pounds on legs that are like toothpicks. That is how these horses have been made. And it is very hard to carry that weight at that speed, sometimes up to 40 miles an hour. over a period of, you know, over a period of time and over a route of ground. Now, is that the answer? Are we going to have to 
completely radically change the breeding part of the industry? I don't know. They're going to, I'm sure have, and we already know that's going to happen. There are going to be major investigations into what is going on here. But the answer is not just we can't send horses that are less than 100% because I guarantee you the two talented stake horses who we have watched have their legs shattered during the race were cared for as well as you can possibly be cared for. The issue is not that they were in any way sent out there at less than 100%. That is not why they broke down. We have to get to the reason why they broke down, but I don't know that it's going to be an easy thing to uncover. And if it's such something in the breeding that has to be changed, that is going to be met with a lot of opposition. Because you're talking about radically changing an industry. But it may have to be changed. But it has been a very, very tough year to be around horse racing. And a very, very tough year at Saratoga. You know, I tweeted yesterday at the Yankees were a clown show. I sat down yesterday and started to watch the game. The first inning was embarrassing, the way they threw the ball around. They never hit. And then the Yankees pose a lineup where they put a kid, and this is not meant to in any way denigrate Everson Pereira. It's not meant in any way to denigrate him. He's had a handful of major league at-bats. But why would you possibly, when he's 2 for 18 with seven strikeouts, and you want to play him every day, which I understand they want to play the kids now because there's nothing else to do. But if you want to put him in there, why would you, after he opens up 2 for 18 with, a, with seven strikeouts, why would you bat him clean up? For what possible reason would you produce a lineup batting him clean up? He did get one of the Yankees' four hits yesterday. It was a ball that just basically hit the end of his bat and got into the outfield right off the end of the bat in four attempts. The Yankees got four hits and blew a 4-2 lead and lost again, didn't win a series again, have won one series since June and that was against a, a god-awful team. They are a terrible baseball team. Yesterday, they started eight right-handed batters against a righty pitcher, which tells you that their whole, whole plan is flawed dramatically. And it's such a bad lineup, it defies description. The Yankees have had five or fewer hits 23 times this year. They've had two t- hits... They've been uh, held to two hits in games in record-breaking fashion over the last month. They are completely inept. If LeMayu hadn't gotten hot in the last week, their numbers would be even worse. It is completely, completely nothing short of a colossal embarrassment what the Yankees are putting out as a product right now and how they conduct themselves as an organization right now. 
They deny any of this is a problem. They are now six games under 500. They haven't had a losing season, we know, in three decades. That is probably going to go by the boards. Who cares if they finish 500 or finish under 500 or finish 10 games under 500? It makes no difference. But it's almost like they don't see the issue. They don't see the problems, and they're the only ones that don't. That's the alarming part. This isn't some organization. This isn't some run-of-the-mill organization. This is the New York Yankees. And you sit there and say, how the mighty have fallen. And they continue to deny. They continue to defend a plan and a way of doing business that clearly is leading them to complete futility. And you wonder if it's just that they have gotten to such a level of complacency and all they care about, all ownership cares about is the fact that they are making money and they are making money. And that's the bottom line. The bottom line isn't winning. The bottom line isn't winning championships. We all know it's not about winning championships anymore. How could they be, how could they and they being ownership, how could they think their fan base would not be upset with the product that has been put forth? How can they not understand, and they've made the statements that they don't understand why the fans are upset when they haven't been to a World Series since 2009? These are the Yankees. It is about World Series. It is about championships, but it's not about anymore. Now it's, hey, you know, we compete most years. We win every year. What do you want? The fans want you to be the Yankees again. They don't expect you to be just like everybody else. The Dodgers aren't like everybody else. Most years, the Cardinals aren't like everybody else. And the Yankees have never been like anybody else. They've always been the Yankees, and they've acted that way, and they've carried themselves in an arrogant fashion because they have been ultra-successful because they have always been the Yankees. Yes, there have been moments in their history when they fell off the path and had to modernize as they did in the mid to late 60s when baseball finally said, we're finally going to take this machine down with an organized draft so the Yankees don't get all the players. Let them get old and nobody trade with them. And they did, and they finally sent the Yankees careening and then realized it wasn't good for the sport when they were out of it from 64 to 76. They didn't find it appealing to the sport. They found it to be something that hurt the sport. And let's be honest, since the Yankees came back then, except for a couple of gaps, including one real bad one during the Stump Merrill years, they have been an incredibly successful franchise. And they counted their successes in championships, not winning seasons, not playoff appearances now, which is easy to accomplish. Championships. 
But that is no longer the case. To say the Yankees have lost their way would be the understatement of the year. To say this is nothing short of a clown act now would be to be missing the point. Just use yesterday's game as an example. You don't need to look. You don't have to go back two games. You can just look, go back to yesterday. And there's more to come. And if you're one of these crazy people, and I've heard people even going public with this kind of approach, that the Yankees are still in it. I mean, give me a break. What do you need for evidence? Look at the lineup. Look at the, look at the production of the guys in the lineup. Look at the batting averages. Look at the OPSs. And you think they're in it? It cannot get much more embarrassing. But, hey, stay tuned. The Yankees might be able to outdo themselves when it comes to that. You know, there was so much. I think you have to go back to when the Giants and Jets first met in a preseason game, if, you, if you're old enough to remember the buildup for that game, and I do. This game this past Saturday took up, really took on that kind of excitement and importance. Not that we were going to be glued to the third and fourth quarters, but that we wanted, and I did, wanted to see the start of the game because we wanted to see Aaron Rodgers take the field. It had been years since he ever stepped on a field in a preseason game. But he wanted to get a dress rehearsal in there and even admitted afterwards that he was a little nervous. And he played two series and threw one beautiful touchdown pass. And everyone got a glimpse at what they're expecting this year and will expect right out of the box against a very, very difficult schedule right off the start. But the excitement that Rodgers has brought to this team and, and the anticipation for this football season in this utterly disappointing, really, you know, legendary season of disappointment in baseball for the New York teams. We have such terrific anticipation towards this football season. The Giants are no longer jokes. They have a real front office. They have a real organization. They have a real head coach. They have a real coaching staff. They have improved the team markedly. Now, they arrived way ahead of schedule last year. They stole games. They won with their coaching. I thought they were the best coach team in the league last year. From the head coach to the defensive coordinator, I thought they were the best coach team in the league, and they stole games. They had no right winning last year. Now, this year, they could be better and still not have a better record. Tougher schedule, and they're not going to sneak up on anybody this year. And they snuck up on a whole bunch of people last year. They're going to be much better offensively. Waller's going to make a big difference. Their offensive line is going to be much better, and I even trust the rookie at center. I think there's still a couple of question marks on the offensive line, but now at least they have anchors on that offensive line. And they're going to be very representative 
And it might take them another year to get to where you want them to get. But you know what? They're headed in the right direction. And they have a coach who I think can be among the best coaches in the league for the next decade. He is a superb head coach. But the excitement around the Jets is unbelievable. They have a lot of talent. They have a couple of things that I know will continue to scare most people, and especially me. And I'm worried about, but the bottom line is, I really think Rodgers is going to be sensational. I think that they have plenty of weapons, and I think they're going to be very good. It doesn't mean they're going to the Super Bowl this year, but I do think they'll go into the playoffs this year. And I will be bitterly disappointed if they don't. I'm a little worried about the coaching staff. I've admitted that. I'm a little worried about the offensive line. More than a little worried. But the level of excitement that Rodgers is bringing to this town and this team is extraordinary. And I think it's going to be must-see. You got some teams in the league that have had no expectations for a long time. The Jets are one. The Lions another. That people expect a lot out of this year. They expect a lot out of the Jets. They expect a lot out of the Lions. It's been years. You want to say Jacksonville? Well, Jacksonville arrived last year, so they're already here. We know what they're building around a terrific player at quarterback, and they're going to be playoff fixtures for a while. They arrived already, though. But Detroit and the Jets especially, two franchises that have been really considered and have never been respected in any way in this league, now have high expectations this year. It's going to be fun to watch both as they move into prime time, as they become very, very big players on the NFL scene and on the NFL stage. You know, uh, I mentioned the NFL, uh, the I mentioned the college football season started on Saturday with a couple of, you know, a handful of games, as it did. And, you know, it was, you know, it was not anything really exciting. I mean, you knew USC was going to put up a bunch of points on San Jose. Their defense didn't play that well and gave up a late cover. So if the uh, wager laid over 30 for USC, you lost because they got a late touchdown on a big uh, run that, Took them down to the two-yard line. Um, Notre Dame pounded Navy in Dublin. But everyone knows that Khalid Williams is supposed to, supposed to win the Heisman. I mean, he's a heavy, heavy favorite to win the Heisman. Whether he will do that again, we'll wait and see. Everything has to break right. He got off to a nice start throwing four touchdown passes against San Jose. 18 to 25, four TDs. Could have done more. But, you know, when you look for guys who could be in that mix, do not look past Sam Hartman at Notre Dame. You know, they'll mention quarterbacks at LSU. They'll mention quarterbacks at Clemson. They'll mention quarterbacks at Texas as 
guys who could maybe upset the apple cart. But do not discount Sam Hartman. He opened up 19-23 with four touchdown passes for the Irish. Remember, this is the Wake Forest quarterback who is now a grad student at Notre Dame, who was actually in, if you count that first year when he got hurt about four games into the season, is in his sixth year of college football. He's 24 years old. But he brings something very special to the Notre Dame quarterback position that they have not had in a long time. And remember, big player, big quarterback at Notre Dame historically has been a very, very popular Heisman candidate on a good season. Notre Dame is going to have a good season. We'll see if they have a special season. But watch Hartman as a very, very distinct live underdog in this whole proceeding because he is going to put up big numbers at Notre Dame. 19 to 23, four touchdowns in the win over, in the blowout win over Navy, 42 to three. A little different Navy team, different coach. We'll see where that takes them. But the bottom line, Notre Dame got off fast. Okay. They're better than their preseason ranking of 13. And watch Hartman at quarterback for Notre Dame because as the weeks go by and he piles up the numbers, you're going to see him. Notre Dame quarterbacks who are flashy are automatically Heisman candidates. So no one could make anybody but the USC quarterback the heavy favorite. He's going to be at the top of the draft next year. We know how talented he is. We know what he's already accomplished. But if you're looking for a good dark horse, check out the Notre Dame quarterback, the first time they've had a real quarterback at this level in a long time. And he's going to have a big year. Emails quickly when we return. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right. Mike Francis has a podcast at gmail.com. That's where you send your questions. Let's get to as many as we can quickly. Uh, Michael, the Alonzo, that's his name. The Alonzo situation seems to have taken on a life of its own. Now you're reading that it'll definitely be moved. He's only 28. Why can't he be part of the future? There's a little bit of a campaign going on here. I don't know if it's a campaign to get him to get off the dime and not ask for an outrageous amount of money. Uh, his agent, if he's doing his job, is going to bring up the Lindor contract. Why wouldn't he? Alonzo's 28, going to be 29 before he starts the next season. They don't want to give him a contract that long. Okay? I'm not saying that Alonzo didn't change a little bit. I'm not saying he didn't have some confrontations, but this is a campaign, and it has been patently unfair and the Mets will miss Alonzo a lot if they get rid of him I think they better get a lot for him if they let him go David why do you think Scherzer and Verlander are pitching well with their new teams uh that's a good question I think Scherzer is the more interesting one Verlander was pitching well for the Mets. 
he had he had really started to pitch well, and I think he was going to pitch well the rest of the way. Scherzer was the one who did not look like the same pitcher. He was not getting swing and misses. He was not looking like anything like the same guy. And now he has started to pitch a lot better. He had that game last week where he, uh, you know, struck out 10 or 11 and gave up two hits. I mean, he, he has pitched much better. That's the surprising one. And for that, I, I don't really have an answer. Scherzer was disappointing here. It was disappointing the end of last season. It was disappointing this season. That's the surprise. Verlander was pitching well anyway, but Scherzer has been a big surprise. Hey, you know it's Scherzer. You know he's good. I think you'd have to ask him what the difference is. If I, I haven't watched those games, but I would guess that he's finally getting some real bite back on that breaking ball, which he was not getting here. He was giving up a lot of home runs. He was not getting swing and misses. Now he is. Um... We know he has a lot of talent. He's gotten on a good run. There's no question. Mike, Otani is, ge- is obviously a generational talent, but I've always felt that he would break down sooner or later. It's too much wear and tear on the body. What impact will the torn UCL have on uh, the market? Uh, it'll have a major... People were talking about him getting $500 million. First of all, listen, I have always felt he should give up the pitching. First of all, if you want a guy now as an everyday slugger or a starting pitcher, the way starting pitchers have been minimized into six-inning guys, I want an everyday player, especially if he's going to hit 40 home runs. So also understand what a person's body goes through when they make a start. Buck Showalter, who knows, uh, and again, knows as much about baseball as anybody I've ever met, talked about the other day how every pitcher bleeds after he has a starting Pitches of, you know, a six or seven inning game. It is an unnatural act. It is very difficult on the body. That was going to take its toll. It would also take its toll on him going forward if he tried to continue to pitch and hit. And I think he should, the best thing for him to do going forward is declare one. I think the pitching goes away. Number two, I think it affects him probably to the tune of $150 million overall. Uh, he'll still get a lot of money, but it won't be the insane money they were talking about, which was five or six hundred million dollars. David Fanwood has the pendulum swung so running backs are now undervalued. I'd have to say yes. You know the run the running backs don't get it though. They think that if they get free, they're going to get the money, or they go to another team, they're going to get the money. They're not getting the money. The position has been changed. Just like now, how much money the wide receiver gets. Just like in the era of the blind side, how much money the tackle gets. The bottom line is the game has changed. The pecking order has been established and running backs are not going to get paid phenomenal amounts of money. It's not going to happen no matter where you go. So getting them to switch teams might get you a little bump. But the idea that you hit the market and all of a sudden you're going to get rich, it's not happening. Nobody's giving you the money. The position has been been changed and devalued. People want more than one running back, and they want them young, and they want to get them at a cheap price. It's not a good time to be a running back. Patrick, should the Yankees trade judge for the right package of prospects and or young players? 
Judge is 32 next season. The Yankees seem like they need to rebuild from top to bottom. Hey, no. The Yankees need Judge. The Yankees need a star. They need a drawing card. They need Judge. They need to keep Judge right where he is. Jason, with Judge and Trout being two of the best players of their generation, can we foresee one or both players of their caliber never playing in a World Series or even winning a World Series? Hey, you know, it happens. In the old days, it happened a lot. There were a lot of great players. Ted Williams spent very little time in his career, a minuscule amount of his career in the postseason. Ernie Banks, go down the list. There's many, many great players who never played on good teams or never played, but the sport has changed. The way we view sports has changed. You now don't have 162, or in those days, 154, now 162 game season and then a best-of-seven series at the end of the year. No way would that series ever depict for you the value of a player. It was a four- to five- to six- to seven-game series. How are you going to use that versus 162 games to evaluate a player? But now you have a month of playoff. Now you have rungs of playoff. So being a dominant player in the postseason, is considered more valuable now to your career in terms of everything, including your legacy, than the regular season. If you are good in the regular season now and don't participate in the postseason or participate badly in the postseason, it hurts your career. In the old days, it didn't. You can go back to years where Babe Ruth didn't hit in the World Series. You can go back to years where Joe DiMaggio didn't hit in the World Series. You can go back to years where Mickey Mantle, who played in 12 World Series in his first 14 years in the majors, and who holds almost every World Series record. And there were years where he didn't hit at all in the World Series. There were also years where he hit brilliantly in the postseason. Hit 400 with four homers, 10 RBIs. Hit, you know, three homers, eight RBIs. Four homers, 10 RBIs. Hit 400. But there were also years where, you know, he went two for 15. Or, you know, 62, he had a bad series, so did Mays. 63, he had a bad series against the Dodgers. He had a bunt single against Drysdale and a home run against Sandy Kovacs in game four. That was it. It was a four-game sweep. He did hit three bombs off Johnny Padres in game two. They were all caught basically... Would have been home runs in other parks. But you know what? Doesn't matter. They were outs. I was in game two. He was two for 13 or 14 in that series. And, and in the next series, he was like three for 25. But then the last series he played in against the Cardinals, he had three homers, eight RBIs, and hit 333. And he had a walk-off homer in game three. Had a home run in game six in a route and then had a three-run homer to bring them back in game seven of Bob Gibson. As Tim McCarver talked about as being one of the most amazing swings he ever saw. He said, I heard the whoosh and the ball just kept going. So that's a man who had 18 World Series homers. 
Not 18 postseason home runs, 18 World Series home runs. Think about that. 18 World Series home runs. But it has changed dramatically. And yes, you can go through now your career. And if you do that, if you're a judge, if you're Trout, it is a big blemish on your career now. It wasn't for Ted Williams. It is now. Enjoy your day. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.